The one thing I can't get over, like when people want to say, ah, climate change isn't real or global warming, I guess you should say, because Texas had the hottest summer ever. So you can't deny that the earth is warming, but is it man-made or not? This argument kills me because let's just say I believe that it's man-made. We move to renewables. I'm wrong. What is the downside? You have cleaner air and water. But if you deny it that it's man-made and you're wrong, what is the downside? It could be catastrophic. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I wanted to personally invite you to the Renew Energy and the Solar Maverick Holiday Fundraiser Networking Event that we're having on Tuesday, December 5th from 6 to 10 p.m. in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is right across the water from New York City at Hudson Hall, which is a Czech beer garden smokehouse that I'm one of the owners. It's $64 to attend. The admission fee goes to two charities that we're fundraising at the event, which is Let's Share the Sun Valley. Foundation, which we've had on two episodes of the Solar Maverick podcast and the local Boys and Girls Club. And it also covers our expenses for the event. Appetizers will be served. We're also partnering with Grandstand Sports and Memorabilia. They'll be selling memorabilia proceeds that go to charity. At our last two events, we've raised 1500 for each of these charities. If you're interested in sponsoring the event, please email us at info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you can make it. Let's get into it. Did you know that New York is a clean energy leader with ambitious climate goals in the works? New York solar industry is making those goals a reality, although there's some challenges to face as we work on decarbonizing the grid. Get ready to dive into the solutions for New York's clean energy future at the 2023 New York Solar Summit, the ultimate statewide conference and trade show where industry leaders explore the path to rapid solar and storage deployment through the Empire State. Join hundreds of clean energy leaders on November 9th at Albany Capital Center to hear from experts, including Jigger Sean Doreen Harris, along with ample learning and networking opportunities. Visit www.nicea.org, that's N-Y-S-E-I-A.org, for more information registered today. Register using the promo code MAVERICK for a 15% discount on tickets. Hope to see you there. Hi, this is Benoit, your host, the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm really excited on this episode of the podcast to have my co-host, Nate Giovanelli. Nate's been on several episodes of the Solar Maverick Podcast. Maybe now it's like nine or 10 at this point, Nate. I believe it should be a lot more and hopefully in the future we'll have a lot more. But Nate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Benoit. And I'm going to take this opportunity because you missed it and you're probably going to add it as preamble, but let's get into it. Oh, let's get into it. I've been stopping that changing. It's so funny how many people people are like oh i love when you say let's get into it and it's funny because that wasn't my idea that was actually our executive producer kevin y brown he wrote up a script on the intro and said oh you should say let's get into it so yeah let's get into it and that's pretty funny but you're saying it nate it would be great if our audience is not familiar with your background if you could talk about it and also nate has his own podcast called the limitless podcast which is on all the major platforms obviously we'll have these in 
the notes of the podcast. Yeah, Jovanelli.io, or you can go to jovanellllc.com and it'll redirect you. Yeah. And then it has, I like how you put the list of all the different speaking engagements or podcasts that you've been. But Nate, it would be great if you could talk about your background and what you're focused on. Sure. Yeah. I've been in renewables for over 10 years now. I am involved in a whole host of businesses and really just do what I love to do, which is connect great people to do tremendous things and be part of this amazing industry that's growing so fast. So I've done everything from deploying capital for nonprofits through leases and power purchase agreements to large CNI, some of the largest CNI in the country with Amazon and FedEx and other Fortune 500 companies like that. And really my passion is in residential solar. So a lot of my stuff that I do now revolves around that. I started a company, Sunraise Capital, and we're really innovating how finance gets done in the residential space. Because of macroeconomic trends, there's a lot of people that are moving toward third-party ownership, which is leases and power purchase agreements. And, you know, in my time in renewables, deploying over a few billion dollars into the residential space, what I've noticed is there's never that clean financial alignment between the installer and the fund. So TPO always seemingly had this friction to do leases, and we're taking the friction out by allowing the installer to buy back into the projects that they build effectively to get that reoccurring revenue. And there's a whole host of other cool things, and we can talk about that later. That's my main project right now, but I'm still part of Enterflow, which is a really fast-growing software platform that just takes all the complexity out of lead to PTO for these installers, and it takes all their software and brings it into one place. So you have one user, one login. I'm on a few boards and advisor for some other companies that are doing some really cool stuff as well. And this probably could do a whole episode on that. But really today, you know, I wanted to focus on Sunraise Capital. So we can talk about that either in another episode or at the tail end of this one, because I know you want to talk about RE Plus. And then, of course, I have a consulting business, which is Jovanelli LLC. And it's one of the few times I'm not wearing any Jovanelli LLC gear. It's one of the benefits of having your own company. You can you never have to buy clothes again. But I got my <laughs> renew shirt on. Oh, so you're wearing it. It looks great on Pittsburgh. <laughs> with the Sunrise Capital shirt. By the way, I wanted to let you know, the last podcast you did with me as the co-host, the 2023 trends that we did after the Washington Commanders came back in December is one of our most popular podcasts for the last 12 months awesome. and one of our most downloaded. So I appreciate everyone listening, our listeners who we call Mavericks. I think it was a great episode. I got a lot of great feedback actually from that episode. and Everyone seems to enjoy the dynamic that we have as host of episodes. It's amazing because now it's almost been two weeks or two and a half weeks since RU Plus in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was from September 11th to 14th. It was a record attendance. Abby Hopper, who's the head of CEO, was telling me 43,000 people attended the conference compared to last year in Las Vegas. It was 28,000. It seemed like there's a lot of excitement in the renewable energy industry, specifically with the Inflation Reduction Act being a year old and getting a lot of guidance on some of the things with the Inflation Reduction Act. I know you partnered with Nico Johnson and 
was speaking to a lot of different people at the event. You did actually an episode with takeaways, right, from RE Plus as well on Nico's podcast. Would be great to get your perspective of what were the key things that you saw at RE Plus or trends that you think are noteworthy for our audience to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think the growth, as you mentioned, has been just tremendous. My recollection, and maybe it's fuzzy, you know, but you started to see batteries last time RE Plus was in Vegas, which was pre-COVID. And that's why they rebranded, I think, from SPI to RE Plus. But the amount of other technologies and whole home solutions that were there, at least that's what I saw, but maybe that's what I gravitate toward, was just phenomenal. And I think everyone's competing, at least in the resi side, to own the home. I think that's really interesting as we move toward electrification, where everything has this in your house, is smart, is electrified, whether it's your range, your EV or whatever. And we need a way for all these things to talk to each other and interact. And then the next phase of that, and I think you're hearing a lot more of would be the VPP solution or virtual power plants and using all these functionality and smart technology and things that are talking to each other to really reimagine what an individual consumer can do with regards to the grid. So you see all these things in Texas, how hot it is and, you know, solar's really been helping there. But now imagine a world where individual homeowners can participate in certain programs and then, you know, turn things off and on depending on when the grid needs to give or take power. I just think we're getting into this new evolution where people are starting to think about energy more. Originally, it's kind of started with the Nest thermostat. I think that's really got people thinking about it. So hats off to Google for making a product that I think is widely accepted now in the home. And, oh, you can turn it off, you know, AC up and down remotely or when you leave, it automatically turns it down for you. So you don't have to think about it. And now we've evolved out of that into a whole product suite and a whole home solution. And I think you're going to see more and more of that kind of thing. So just the little bit of a time I got to walk the floor, that's one thing I noticed. Obviously, the batteries are a huge part of that. They're everywhere. Everyone had their little mini home with batteries, which was really interesting to see. And post net metering, when you think about California or even Texas, you're going to see more and more batteries, especially in residential systems and attached to these large scale utility systems, because as the surge of power from solar gets more and more, as we increase the amount of solar on the grid, then you're going to really shift that demand later in the day. So batteries are going to be a critical part of that. I was surprised to see how people were coming up with the total energy solution, as you mentioned, and like on the exhibit floor, which was huge. And I think you're right, like VPPs, those are offsite power purchase agreements or virtual power plant agreements is huge. I don't know if you heard about what happened yesterday. Obviously, everything's happening so quickly in the solar industry, yeah. but this is an article, well, a press release on September 28th, but DOE announces a $3 billion partial loan guarantee to Sonova's project Yesta, and it's based on providing a guarantee on a virtual power plant agreement. And that's the first of its kind. So it's just amazing to see how quickly things are adapting and changing and getting a lot bigger. I think also a lot of people are excited about the certainty, obviously, of the IRA and waiting to get more guidance. We've talked offline about transferability. I know I was having a lot of conversations with different people about transferability, which is part of do what Sunrise Capital will probably be a part of this wall. Also, platforms actually talked to two platform providers who basically are trying to create a platform for transferability with projects and high net worth individuals or someone who has like a passive income stream that they want to take advantage of transferability credits. And then batteries, as you mentioned, right? I think also there are other battery technologies too, outside of just lithium ion. I was 
seeing other technologies as well out in the battery space as well, because I think you're going to need a diversified energy solution, not just renewables, but transition fuels or even fossil fuels to a certain degree, but also different battery technologies, microgrids. So it was not solar power international. It was truly RE plus. And hopefully now that it's been RE plus for two years, that name will eventually like stick. So <laughs> it will never stick for me. I noticed it takes a lot of practice. It just takes so much practice. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think you touched on a few things that I'd like to elaborate on. One, I'm not going to actually go deep on this one, but when you say transferability, you mean tax transferability. You can transfer the tax and simply the government gives this 30% federal investment tax credit back to the owner of the system. And traditionally, it was you either needed to be like a residential customer that had a tax appetite and you own their system and you get that tax credit back, or you had to be a large bank. And it's really convoluted in how they would monetize these tax attributes. And the IRA that passed a little over a year ago, right before RE Plus last year, added a transferability component to that to really streamline how people will consume these tax credits and bring more investors in for tax. So these platforms are popping up where if you have taxable income, you can go and buy these tax credits and offset your own taxes. And it's really just expanding the universe of investors. And we'll put a pin in that because that's the game changer that I see in the industry, especially for residential solar and how Sunrays is going to really, I think, disrupt this market. And so far, the reception has been amazing. The other thing I want to unpack, I remember talking about this, it might've been at the industry pulse, as you alluded to, at Mari Plus, with one of the experts that I was interviewing throughout the week. But what I noticed was on the battery side, and I'm not super close to it. So this is kind of high level and hopefully I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. The problem is that lithium ion, maybe it is not the best technology, but it's bankable. So solar, as young of an industry, as nascent as it is, sometimes we're slow to adopt things because there's all this money that comes into the space. The banks have to be comfortable lending against that technology. Because another trend that I've seen or I see coming in residential in particular is this kind of shift of mentality that, hey, we really don't need an inverter on every panel anymore. There are string inverters out there that are capable. And if you look at like the Tesla Powerwall 3, the inverters built in and there's enough PowerPoint trackers in it where you still get a lot of the efficiency and it's just orders of magnitude cheaper. So as we continue to lower costs, there's a few ways to do that. There's labor, there's equipment and through software. I think last year, a lot of the theme was the IRA. There's all this excitement. We're headed for a labor shortage. We have to double in size as an industry. We've record low unemployment, less than 4%. How are we going to grow as an industry? I mean, that was 100% in my mind. And I interviewed 12 people on the Power Up media stage. And that was what's on everyone's mind. It was either we have to get more efficient through technology. We have to have better processes, easier permitting, clear the interconnection. Like there's all these things. But at the end of the day, you still need labor to do the installation. Yeah, Nico and I talked about this a bit because a lot of people say it's overhyped. It's not really a shortage, but I'm still seeing that in my universe and just through IREC that there's a lot of firms that are still having trouble hiring. 
I haven't read the recent IREC report. I think it came out in the last month, but I know like the jobs have only increased from like 255,000 jobs in renewable was last year. And then this census, I think was like 264, somewhere in that range, right? So where is this explosive growth? Or is it people are getting more efficient? Or is it that we're trying to grow? We just can't hire people fast enough. I'm not sure. I do think it's going to be a future problem. Now we'll see on the macroeconomic side, you know, where we end up, you know, If we end up in a recession, there might be plenty of people in the labor market. We'll see how that affects projects. One thing I noticed on the same kind of train of thought between last year and this year, last year, Resi was up. Everyone had excitement over the IRA, but the residential solar business was still generally up where CNI or commercial industrial and utility scale seemed to be down. This year, it seems like utility scales up, CNI's up and residential's down, which I wouldn't have anticipated. Now, there's still a lot of excitement, but I don't think we've seen yet the full power of the IRA. And part of that is that the final rulings aren't out yet. I know I'm waiting for exactly what you can and can't do with the tax transferability is a great example. There's still just guidance on domestic content because there's adders. You can get more tax incentives for using US-made panels and things like that. And I keep reading all these articles and I post them all on my LinkedIn. So if you want to follow me, just find me on LinkedIn because I post things that I think are interesting. And if you think it's interesting too, then great. But PD Magazine recently, had an article where it was like, since the IRA, there's been 46 factories announced $150 billion worth of investment and 18,000 jobs in renewables. Now, are those future jobs? Because I just gave the stats from the solar census from IREC, which I think is generally pretty accurate. And there's only been an increase of maybe 10,000 jobs. And I mean, I could fact check myself now. Like I said, I didn't read the full report from this year, but where are all these jobs? I mean, I don't know. And part of it, full circle, might be that it's just that strain of a labor right now where we just can't find the people to fuel the growth necessary. I mean, the other side of that, a lot of people have said, and I agree with the argument that we've kind of created this problem for ourselves because we create artificial inflation of wages in solar. Like electricians in solar make more than electricians out of solar. And it's because they generally just move from company to company. And every time that you hire them away from here or there, you pay them 20% more. And now they have the same skill set, but you're instead of training new people and bringing new people into the industry, you're stuck in this rut of increasing inflation, increasing costs, because you're just going and taking or poaching, whatever word you want to use, those employees from competitors. I just expanded my podcast and you had mentioned, I asked everyone, or my plan is I'm bringing more people into renewables, which wasn't the answer I expected, but I loved it. And you're doing it through this podcast. And that's what we need right now, because the interest in in renewables is an all-time high. And I know we've talked about it several times on Solar Maverick is they didn't really offer this course when we were in college, but now I'm seeing more and more young people reach out. I just had somebody reach out to me from NYU. They said, I want to get into renewables and specifically, I want to get into consulting. And I see that you are part of all these businesses. Do you have a half hour to talk? And of course, you know, I'm always going to make time for that. I think it's important. It's paying it forward. You know, you had a lot of great questions. Hopefully you had some takeaways. And I love that as a sophomore in college, somebody's taking the initiative to reach out to learn more about how they can become part of this industry. Like that energizes me. It's uncommon, but it's not that uncommon. It happens to me maybe once a month or so where I'll have somebody reach out. I just think it's great for the industry. We got to keep this momentum going and make sure that labor isn't the issue. So that was a lot. I don't want to dominate the conversation, but I'm curious what you're seeing in the market 
market. Do you think that the labor shortage or pending labor shortage is overhyped? Do you think that we're going to have the people necessary to get to these lofty zero emissions goals that the current administration has put out? Or do you think that just over time, everything's going to get more efficient and we'll figure it out? I mean, where are you on the sky's falling scale? The sky is never falling with renewables, for sure. <laughs> but it's still a roller coaster. I mean, I think the challenge with like with the Inflation Reduction Act is not really a lot's been done because of it, because we're still waiting for the guidance and the rules, right? So like what I've been noticing in the commercial industrial space and utility scale development, things have been kind of at a standstill because people are trying to understand the incentives and projects that didn't pencil might be penciling now, or maybe you could have a higher return. So it's challenging. I feel like only until the first or second quarter of next year, will we have the guidance? Will the solar community understand it? Because it takes time, right? For financing, legal, development community, everyone, the installer community to get comfortable with it. So I think it's an exciting time. I think what I've been seeing a lot too is with the unemployment, specifically in the tech sector, I've seen a lot of people actually transition to renewables. And it seems like the economy is not performing as well, or we're in some sort of recession and a lot of people are losing jobs. So I believe that there's a lot of job opportunities in renewables and it's hard to fill those positions. And it's interesting you talked about electricians, but we don't have enough people in the trades. I think the average electrician's age is like 46, 47 years old. So to be able to do the transition that we're talking about, we need a lot more, obviously, people to come into the industry. I think it's going to take some time. It's just not going to happen all of a sudden. And I'm just trying to think there's so many different things that I could talk about. And I just don't want to get into like a rabbit hole of a lot of. But the challenge is I don't think we're going to hit like the renewable energy goals that the administration has set because it's very lofty. And the other thing, it takes time, right? Do you come up with the policy and then for the policy to become law? And then unfortunately, still there are people who are getting their lobby groups and utilities that are trying to make things extremely difficult. But over time, as we know that they won't be able to stop it because solar energy is the lowest cost electricity. And no matter what people try to do, eventually you can't stop. So, I mean, I think it's exciting times in the industry. I think the challenge is the weight. You're talking about the transferability rules, tax transferability, which is great that you corrected me on because I think that's going to take some more time, but it's a huge opportunity for everyone. Yeah, we're reaching critical mass is what you're trying to say. And and although we might not hit the goals, solar has added more generating capacity to the grid in each of the last four years than any other source of energy. I think we're headed in the right direction. I think it was 45% of all electric capacity added so far this year has come from solar. And there's been a month or two where 100% of new capacity was from wind and solar. Right now, we're seeing $35 billion in private investment into the space. All the supply constraints from COVID are starting to stabilize. Mostly, there's still some niche components out there and being told are hard to come by. But generally speaking, I mean, all of that is trending the right way. I think there was another article that I posted recently that was something like a renewable energy is projected to replace coal as the world's largest source of electricity generation by 2025. And that blew me away. I understand you're saying, yeah, I guess you could look at it two ways, right? Everything's perspective. One perspective is it's not happening fast enough. I get that. But the other one, if you look at just some of those stats I threw out, it is coming quickly. I mean, we're talking about doubling the industry, right? 
right? So like, it depends on the time frame you're looking at. And actually a plug for my podcast. Again, I talked about this week. One of the things that I discussed was just in renewables in general. The one thing I can't get over, like when people want to say, ah, climate change isn't real or global warming, I guess you should say, because Texas had the hottest summer ever. And if you look like the last 20 years, so you can't deny that the earth is warming, but is it man-made or not? This argument kills me because let's just say I believe that it's man-made, at least partially man-made. We'll throw that bone out there. We move to renewables. I'm wrong. What is the downside? You have cleaner air and water. This is what I just talked about. Yeah, for sure. But if you deny it that it's man-made and you're wrong, what is the downside? It could be catastrophic. Now, I think that humans have the unique ability to use technology to get out of most problems, right? So I don't think it's going to be dire. Maybe we have to build some higher seawalls and things like that. But at the end of the day, like I just don't understand the argument. Like, What is the downside? You can go to many cities in this country. I'm going to pick on LA because if you've ever been there, I mean, you can literally see the air. I don't care how many Teslas they have. It's going to take a while (laughs) to overcome that, right? Am I the only person that thinks this is a problem? I haven't. I would love to go. But again, like this is common sense type stuff to me. Like, what is the argument against it? But I'm going to end this with a point that I want you to talk about because I don't want to get too far away from all the comments you made. One of the things you said, and I know everyone listening will probably just gloss over it if they're pro-renewable. But for the people that are listening that are not pro-renewable if they exist, and I'm sure they do. When you said solar is the cheapest form of power, they're going to say, okay, then why do you have the tax credits? Why do you have SRECs? Why do you have subsidies? What they view as subsidies. I'm just curious what your take is on that. We've talked about this on other episodes, but I think it's important to call out because you can't just talk about, like make statements knowing that people who don't have the full picture are going to say, oh, that's not true. It's only cheaper because of subsidies. By the way, just before you answer that, panel pricing now is so low that I can't even believe it. I just posted this week on LinkedIn about this. I know people buying panels for sub 20 cents. Now I get that a lot of that is just kidding. This is in residential too. Now I get that it's a lot of panels being dumped on the market because of oversupply and like oil, China will ramp down. And I think that's already starting and panel prices will stabilize. I don't think it's sustainable at that level to be clear, to make a module, ship it, all that, at least in the foreseeable future. But that doesn't take away the fact that you can get modules in that like 19 to call it 23 cents right now. I've seen it. But anyway, how do you respond to solar being the cheapest form of power yet it has subsidies either state or federal? Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. Did you know that New York is a clean energy leader with ambitious climate goals in the work? New York solar industry is making those goals a reality, although there's some challenges to face as we work on decarbonizing the grid. Founded in 1994, the New York Solar Energy Industries Association, NYSEA, is the only statewide membership and trade association dedicated solely to advancing solar energy use in New York State. NYSEA proudly represents hundreds of businesses across New York that employ thousands of workers throughout the solar value chain. My company, Renew Energy, we've been a member of NYSEA for over five years, and it's a great organization to be a part of, and we've learned a lot from it. 
and has helped our business strategy going forward. Led by its active board of directors, Nicaea strives to achieve significant long-term and sustainable growth of solar energy for New York State. In an upcoming podcast of the Solar Maverick podcast, we're going to have Noah Ginsberg, who's the executive director of Nicaea, talk about the New York solar market and the successful event that they just had in the beginning of November which was called the New York Solar Summit. If you want to learn more about Nicaea, go to their website, which is www.nicaea.org. That's www.nyseia.org. We'll also have that in the notes of the podcast. Thank you for listening. I know we've talked about this before. All energy in the U.S. is subsidized. Your fossil fuels are subsidized by master MLPs, master limited partnership. And solar, unfortunately, was not part of the tax code, which is fine because now we've adapted to this investment tax credit, state level incentives. The other key thing is solar is the technology. You just made a great example about the cost of panels, 18, 19, 20 cents, but also the wattage. I don't know what panel wattages are now selling at, but you could get a 600 watt panel. And that's huge because that means the cost of electricity from solar is going down. They're also usually higher capacity factors, meaning that the usable light to actual energy is hiring. And then also solar is an abundant resource, right? The sun comes up every day. There's plenty of sun we're not using and it's distributed. It's not centralized. And the planning process, right? It feels forever for a solar power facility, even on a home right? Or multiple homes, like is a lot faster than if you built a natural gas plant. And then you have to transfer the electricity through transmission and distribution, and you have line loss and things like that. And with the aging infrastructure that we have in the U.S., you know, it's important to have distributed energy resources to help with the reliability. So unfortunately, like I believe no matter what you say, people are going to stick to their own narrative and listen to their own narrative and not listen to all the facts that are out there and to make a reasonable decision. But, you know, that's part of the thing that we have to deal with as an industry. And unfortunately, this is also about lobbying dollars, right? The solar industry, renewable energy doesn't have the money as some of these monopolies or fossil fuel or utilities, right? To basically not tell you the correct thing because it's not in their financial benefit to do that. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people are believing it and not really looking deeper. By the way, this is getting to another tangent, but you know what? frustrates me is I thought with the internet, people would actually be smarter because you have resources at your fingertips and you could read things from many different resources and then come up with your own opinion. But what's really happening is there's a lot of people who just follow people who think exactly like them, not looking on a deeper level, whether they're telling you the truth or whether these are factual. The reals now, I love it. Uh, this is definitely <laughs> going to be the most popular episode. Not, I way, actually agree. I like it, by the way, because as as a business person, this creates more opportunity. Yeah, people get in an echo chamber and you'll never convince them otherwise And if they're for or against it. But I'll say this, there's a few things you can't deny. Energy prices have risen faster than inflation for one of the first times in history. It's only happened a handful of times. And the interest rates have risen faster than any point in history. That's a fact. 
So if electricity prices are outpacing record interest rate hikes, people need to start paying attention because I'm in Florida now. You're seeing more and more hurricanes, more and more natural disasters across the U.S. Just look at what happened recently in Hawaii. And it's expensive to rebuild this infrastructure. When something like that happens, where do you think the money comes from? It's a regulated monopoly comes from rate increases in electric rates. And that's part of the equation. The other part is just natural gas was at an all-time low and now it's high. During COVID, it was getting extremely expensive relative to where it was pre-COVID. So energy rates have just spiked faster than really any other time. And if you look at it, it's, it's pretty wild, like some of the numbers. What that does is it's just pushing more and more people towards solar, which I think is a great thing. You have a long-term predictable energy payment. And if you put solar on your home, whether you own it or lease it, consumers paid, just to put a number to it, 14 more for electricity in 2021 than they did the previous year. So I'm still waiting for some updated statistics, but just to kind of put a finer point on what I said, that is more than double the 6.5% rise in prices, according to the consumer price increase data that was released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So again, just putting a point on that, like when you think of inflation, I mean, I know when I go to the grocery store, I was talking to my wife about this, I can't believe how expensive, like simple things like paper towels have gotten. Yeah, it's wild. But the thing, no one's thinking about the fact that their electricity has gone up even twice as much as a lot of those items. When people start feeling the pain, as I'm sure everyone is right now, and especially if we do go into a full-blown recession, and it's a whole nother topic that isn't for us to talk about on this podcast, but I think this is going to drive more people to renewables. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. People are going to be looking to save money any way they can. Clean distributed energy is starting to become normalized. I think we're getting to that point of crossing the chasm where more and more people are going to start going to buy solar instead of just being sold solar. For sure. And one thing that we didn't really talk about, you have the freedom of choice, right? When you go to solar as a residential customer, and especially as storage becomes more economical, and in certain states it is due to the incentives, wouldn't you want to be independent from the grid? There's just so many things you can't control. Wouldn't you want to still have electricity when other people don't? And also with the incorporation of EVs, EVs are a lot cheaper than oil to operate it. So there's just so many economic advantages that why not take advantage of this new technology? And it is the cheapest form of electricity. And once you purchase the system, you're practically getting free energy. Obviously, you have to pay some sort of O&M cost if you own it. Or you could do the model that you talked about with Sunrise Capital, where it's TPO third-party ownership. So you're not making a financial commitment, but you're saving on your electricity. So people don't talk about this freedom of choice. Like, wouldn't you want to not be dependent on the utility for your power to have the backup? So, yeah, I think Sia's stat right now is 30% of all behind the meter systems will have a battery in the next like year or two, something yeah. along those lines. And that makes sense to me. Obviously, every system in California basically has to have one now. I would say Texas is, if they're not in the same boat, is pretty close. And again, that's maybe a whole topic in of its own because it's fully deregulated market. So there's really no net metering with the utility. It lies with the supplier, but they've added so much solar so fast. Everything's bigger in Texas. Somebody told me the other day that it shifted the cost of energy, just like California, which I hate saying, but the duck curve, you're already seeing that on the power supply side in Texas, which means if the suppliers don't have an incentive to take a solar customer, they're not going to give you net metering. They're not going to lose money by taking solar customers. So the only way to get around that is to add a battery. Full circle, kind of some of the trends we talked about
out in the beginning, I think that's a good thing. I think the grid's going to need it. How are we going to charge all these EVs? We're already talking about blackouts across the country. And I agree, you know, on the backup power, I'll be honest, I've been in renewables for over a decade. And when I lived in Pennsylvania, I didn't really think much about batteries. It's like we never lost power where we were. We were right next to the substation and, <laughs> and almost never. And if we did, it was like fractions of a second. It just was annoying to reset my clocks, right? But in Florida, we've already lost been here for three months. I think we've lost power five times. I think about batteries a lot. Actually, I'm permitting them right now. I'm putting in a few batteries and a span panel on my own home because I want that functionality. I want to be able to have lights on when the grid's down. And obviously it'll be paired with solar. So we'll be controlling our own destiny a little bit more. A lot of my neighbors here when we moved in have gas generators. Well, when this last hurricane came through and luckily where I'm at in the Orlando area, we didn't really get hit at all. But you couldn't get gas anywhere, which is a new thing for me. I'm used to that in blizzards. But yeah. for the hurricane, like the lines were insane. So it's like you need gas to run the generator. I mean, we don't have a lot of like my neighborhood has no natural gas. So it's all electric. So again, as not only are electric rates rising, there's just demand on the grid, which means the transmission and distribution is going to rise because they have to do something to supply all this extra power as people get more electrification. So you're using more energy in general. I know there's energy saving stuff out there, but generally speaking, EVs, other things, people are using more power and power costs a lot more than it once did. So that's a recipe for we're going to put solar on our home, we're going to battery back up, so on and so forth. So that's the future I see. I don't see a lot of other really solid alternatives at this point. I'm pretty bullish on the market. I know Resi's a little down this year. I think starting Q1, my guess is that we're going to see the uptick in sales. California is obviously a big hit with their debt metering going away. Dramatic rise in interest rates affected all of solar, but particularly hit Resi hard where a lot of people in residential do loans that are now like money is not free anymore. So those high interest rates are steering more people toward leases and third-party ownership. But in that transition, it's a little bit down. I think solar overall will be up as we've discussed and other segments are supporting it. I fully expect next year that solar's up across the board in all segments in residential, community, solar, CNI, and utility scale. Would you agree with that or shall we have another bet? <laughs> I still owe you the ramen noodles, by the way. I haven't fulfilled the other bet. We have to go back to Pennsylvania for that one. I guess what would the bet be? Do you think that every segment in solar will be up in 2024? Over 2023? That's a hard one. There's just so many variables. I'm really having a hard time. I think so. I mean, I'm normally a very positive person. We bet on the tax credit. You thought it was going to go away, but it came back. So we're be right. And then you <laughs> like finished. And then and you said solar was going to be down, which it was in some segments. That was kind of convoluted. I'm not sure actually who won that. I have to look at the terms and conditions oh, yeah. there. But yeah, I think what you have now is the bottled up potential that everyone was so excited for last year at RE Plus of the IRA, which in my mind hasn't come to full fruition yet, or we would already be way up. We'd be talking about it. You have that going for you. Again, yeah, I think if we hit a recession, we'll see what happens. Generally on the residential side, I think that more people will be looking to save money. So that'll bode well. But in general, I mean, you see what the queue is for these utility scale projects. It's out of control. I mean, there's just such a backlog. So as those things start to break open, which I expect to be next year, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in all segments, but I would bet that as an industry, we're up next year across every sector. Yeah, for sure. I want to fulfill the other bet. So before, you know, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what's interesting to me this is obviously re plus takeaways this has been a great discussion re plus is actually going to be next year in anaheim i wonder from a logistical perspective this year there was forty thousand people in Las I, know, Vegas. Know. I felt like anaheim couldn't handle twenty eight thousand people let's say 53 56 000 people come so i'm telling everyone you should book your hotel right now because yes you should they don't have the infrastructure to handle like Las Vegas. I've been a vocal advocate of this. She probably hears it all the time. So Abby doesn't want to hear from me, but can we just move this thing, man? Can we go back to New Orleans? I was super stoked for that one. And look, you know, got canceled not only because of COVID, but because of a hurricane, then there's no power. And I think <laughs> that was initially. Can we move it somewhere that can accommodate it? Vegas was great, but even that's like, man, just navigating around was so difficult this year. And I don't mean around the city. I mean, around the convention centers, all these different floors. It felt really hard to find people. I wasn't the only one. I've heard a lot of people say, hey, look, overall, amazing event. So I want to be super clear. This is just some minor criticism to make it a little bit easier for us that go from meeting to meeting to meeting to figure out where the heck we're going. Like an interactive map or something would be really cool. But I don't see how Anaheim's going to handle it, man. I remember when there was less than 20,000 people and I couldn't yeah, get it was a restaurant reservation anywhere. anywhere. Like you have to drive like 45 minutes away to go have dinner. So there's got to be a better location. For By the way, Abby Hopper, who's had to see us coming on to the Solar Maverick podcast very soon. So please ask her. Because <laughs> plus, you got to fly for the East Coast people, right? You got to fly to LA, nightmare, and drive or Uber, or whatever. Or you got to go to John Wayne Airport. Like, it's there's not, not that easy many flights to. Salt Lake City, also, news flash. I know everyone loves their Delta flights. Not easy to get to if you're from the East Coast. I'm sorry. Go look at Google Flights. It's not easy to get to. Can we find a place? Look, solar's grown beyond California. It's time to move RE+. I'm obviously passionate about this. I'm counting the desk. Can we move it? I'm not even saying New York City. We don't have to come the whole way east. I liked New Orleans or even Texas, like somewhere closer to the middle. I guess Salt Lake City's technically in the middle. Salt Lake was a cop hotels, right? And then people had to like, stay two hours away. Hey, like I said, I'm an advocate. Let's flights coming in to Salt Lake all over the country. Yeah. All right, Benoit, like I said, we talked about Benoit's going to be my first interview on Limitless. I've never interviewed <laughs> someone before, but we talked about how do you decide what to take action on basically when you have all these different things, right? Because strategy without execution, as my friend Nico told me the other day, is the sound of one hand clapping. So we're going to take action on this and we're going to research. I know this isn't our expertise, but we're going to find the best city. We'll map it out. We'll see who has the biggest airport. Even Atlanta, actually. Like Atlanta's Atlanta is actually a good Let's one. Let's do Atlanta. I'm going to be organizing Solar Maverick conferences. So this is... <laughs> The guy I dreamt you. about this. It's happening. Yeah, for sure. Are you going to do autographs, like sit in there and sign autographs, like t-shirts? It's actually weird how many people from the podcast want to take pictures with me. Will Bitcoin be represented or is this strictly, <laughs> you know? By the way, I still believe Bitcoin is a great solution for the grid. It just hasn't become mainstream yet, but I tell you, it's definitely eventually going to be. I think it's a great way of quantifying the value. That's a whole nother discussion. Chicago 
what about Chicago? Chicago, that's a good one too. Yeah, I like that. That would be fun. And that's kind of in the middle. And we could do it at that same time of year, right? It's not going to yeah, be like super warm. They had a RSPI in Chicago a long time ago, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. That might have been before me. I don't know. 11 or 12 years ago, yeah. Yeah, we got to move it, man. We just got to. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sure people in California are like, no, these guys are dumb. But hey, listen, it's like the East Coast people have been going there. Solar's not just for California anymore. Or Orlando. Hey, come on down. The water's warm. So I'll host it. You can stay at my house. Everyone's welcome. We'll throw a big party out back. I think Orlando could certainly handle it. There's a huge airport. They have a lot of different things. I'm sure there's way more that goes into this than we're giving you credit for. I just oh, want to say that. So, you know, RE Plus staff did awesome. I mean that genuinely. We're just yeah. creative banter here. I would like them to move it. I mean that sincerely, but I understand that it's not that easy. It's easy for us to talk about, but to execute on is for sure difficult. I will say this. I think we should end here. I will see you at the first ever RE Plus Hawaii. I am super stoked for that. <laughs> I found out about this at RE Plus. Oh, you, didn't know about this. you know where, and, where the RE Plus is the week before Hawaii? The week before. And they all are. I'm going to the Fort Lauderdale one. That's October, I think, 18th, 19th. So shout out to RE Plus. Boston. Now, Boston's always in the winter. Yeah, Boston's in February. Uh, but is, there's a one a week before RE Plus Hawaii, or two weeks before. It's RE Plus San Diego. Awesome. It's the Solar. It's a week or two before. Okay, Hawaii. that's why I didn't know about it. Then you go to the San Diego one, right? And then you're that much closer to Hawaii. Well, that's what, what they're thinking. It's on the way, right? Well, I'm in San Diego right now, actually, at our San Diego. Ah. I will be in Hawaii. I'm really excited about that. One thing I wanted to say is Nathan Giovanelli's views of RE Plus and where it should be is not necessarily the views of Benoit Fanchon. <laughs> You said the same thing. They should move it. You started the conversation. And I, because it's actually close to San Diego. That's not how this conversation started. I wasn't going to mention it. You brought it up. People are not getting a fit. And I agree. And I've been talking about this. Now, prove me wrong. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. I hope they do. But you better book your hotels, as you said right now. You better book your reservations for restaurants. Oh, literally today. Your airplane too. Yeah, I think they already have them booked out for like four years. Like, that's how big they are. They have to plan them in. That's why it's easy oh. again to talk about. Like, I totally get it. I'm kidding, not kidding. Like, I understand and appreciate the effort that goes into this. I think they did a phenomenal job this year. My criticism was it was hard to navigate the show floor. If everyone's honest with themselves, a lot of people told me this. It wasn't like, oh, I'm the only one. Where's I mean, I the numbers? Where's the numbers? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It took me like an hour. And I know that I'm directionally challenged, but geez. There's a couple meetings and I wasn't the only one. There's a certain point where the phones weren't working, right? It was no- <laughs> yeah. Oh, if you're in the basement. Oh, geez. And then it's like, where are you? And you can't find anybody. Yeah, that was tough. That's not their fault. There's nothing they can do about that. And you can connect to Wi-Fi, I guess. So no, they put a Wi-Fi in the convention center for RE Plus because there was issues where people's phones weren't working or messaging. So they added Wi-Fi. Yeah, I didn't notice that they added. I heard they had it, but this is a good problem to have. That's a great problem to have. And they yeah. did a great job considering the situation. Like logistically, how do you handle that situation? You know, as a takeaway, I just want you to ask Abby when she comes on, how are you going to fit everybody? And I'm sure she has a response. And she probably said, oh, we planned this like before the IRA. We didn't know we were going to get 60,000 people. So deal with it. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, they do a great job. I'm sure it's very well thought out, but we are going to start a petition. You and I right now, I want your commitment to move it to Florida, Orlando, or Chicago, 
I think a ton of people would go to Miami. That'd be cool. New Orleans or Atlanta. Atlanta is like the biggest airport in the country. So that'll make all the West Coast people happy because they can take their Delta flight. I get it. I love Delta. I do think it's one of the best airlines. Try flying it to Salt Lake or to anywhere out West from the Northeast. I mean, it's yeah. hard to get a direct flight. You got to get a red eye if you want to go out of like New York City. It's wild. It's not easy to get to. I keep trying to explain that to people. People from the East Coast did not come to RE Plus because flights were getting delayed because of the storm in the Northeast. It took me three days to eventually get on a flight to get mm-hmm. to Las Vegas. But Nate, that's been a great episode. There's a lot of value here created. I appreciate you as my co-host. If our audience, who we call Mavericks, wants to learn more about you and what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn. It's just my thing. I'm not a Facebook guy. I'm loosely on Instagram. You know, I thought about it and I'm just like, man, it's like one of those things you got to embrace it or just admit you're too old. I learned so much, by the way, from TikTok. I'm sure. My kids love it. I don't know. I'm going to stay on LinkedIn. If you're a Vivek, we're must warm the squad on the inside TikTok, according to the debate last night. I don't have Facebook. I do post on Instagram because all of my kids, big age gap, are, yeah. are on Instagram. So they can get my podcasts there. But otherwise, yeah, you can get my podcast on Spotify or Apple or whatever. And check me out on LinkedIn. I post a lot of these stats and statistics come from articles that I post that I find are interesting in the renewable space. So you can check that on LinkedIn and all my contact information's there if you want to find me. And I look forward to coming back in the next week or so and doing one so we can talk more about transferability and dive in there for the real solar nerds. We're going to geek out on how the IRA is going to revolutionize solar finance. And I'm sure it'll be a great conversation and people will either agree or not, but we'll come back in a year and we'll see who's right on that one. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to be an amazing interview that will be coming out soon and learn more about Sutter's Capital and what Nate's doing to be able to take advantage of this great innovation in financing and helping the residential customer and more deployment, deploy, 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 as Jerry Shaw said. So. And lastly, I want to thank Benoit for being the first guest on Limitless Podcast, breaking here for the first time that I'm going to try and do a guest interview once a week. I make no promise. It's hard to do one episode a week as it is. It's five minutes long and to wrangle and coordinate other people. But I surprised him that with that this morning. So we've already recorded that one for next week. He's going to be the first guest as a follow-up to the Limitless Podcast, listening to renewable experts on how you can take and implement the things that I talk about on Mondays. And it's all about mindset. And Benoit, I think that's what I appreciate so much about you. I just love your mindset. I love your mindset as well. And that's all about the people you network with. You know, Nate's been a great person, mentor, friend, and many different things, you know, and we always have a great time doing this. And his energy and passion for what he's doing is amazing. So keep up the great work. I appreciate you being a friend and I wish the best of luck on this new Limitless thing. I think it's a great idea and I'm honored to be the first guest in this episode. Yeah, man. We're going to change the world together. For sure. That's what it's about. Legacy. Awesome. Thank you, Nate. Thanks, Benoit. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U-Energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangen and Kevin Y. Brown.